Hey folks, welcome to our seven-part interview series on the seven stages to doing the work that you were born to do, where you can make an income that you desire, and also the impact that you long for. Stage three is, in fact, getting connected. I've said many times that connections are the keys that unlock opportunities, and that's absolutely true. Isaac Morehouse is my guest today, the founder of Praxis, and this young man, his entire life, his entire business journey is one of intentional connecting that led to learning, doing, and growing. Here's my conversation with Isaac Morehouse. Isaac, I'm really thrilled to have you um, in studio today because you really represent in so many ways, and we're going to unpack that, stage three, getting connected. I mean, you are a connector. I I think I want to learn more about what your natural connectivity kind of is, but then you're a strategic connector as well. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. Me too. I'm excited to be here. All right, so let's dive in. Uh, let's give people, you know, we've we've introduced you, but I want you to tell me the essence of what you do. Because I I got a little prompt here, and I love your your, uh, connection to freedom. And I, lo- I read everything you write on your site and everything, and I went, oh, this is kind of my kind of guy. This is my kind of guy. So I want you to, in your words, the essence of what you do from a work standpoint and why you do it. Yeah. So my why is absolutely to make people free, mm-hmm. starting with myself. And it just a, a relentless pursuit of uh, living free um, in, in all aspects of what that means. Yeah. I mean, that's you know political freedom, financial freedom. It's freedom from guilt, mm-hmm. shame, uh, feeling of, you know, uh, being obligated to things, feeling like you're not in charge of your life. So that's, that's always motivated me. And again, it always starts with me. Like I always am pursuing that for myself and trying to help others with that. And the way that in the companies that I've started, they both actually share a mission statement, um, which is to help people discover and do what makes them come alive. Oh, and sounds that's, familiar. That's kind of like how I take that passion for freedom and focus it just a little more. And in, in the case of both Praxis and, and Crash, the companies I've, I've started, it's around careers, around early, sort of in that early career phase, helping people discover and do what makes them come alive. And for me, that's like, when I, when I go about my day, when I encounter people, when you see people that just don't really have much of that spark left, oh, they yeah. just, it's like they're sleepwalking through life. Oh, like zombies. Yes. That... I can't stand that. Yeah. That, that breaks my heart. Where I does have, that come from? I don't know. I. Yeah, I think you do. I. I. I where do you think? Uh, let me, I don't know. Okay, the you, you, have, you have a theory. I want to hear it though. It sounds like you've got a good idea where it I comes think from. it comes from your experience and your environment. Mm, okay. I don't know how far okay. back that goes. Yeah. I yeah. actually want to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna dig here. Yeah. Where does it come from? Okay. So why does that bother you? You know. There's something, I have some kind of natural, you know, gifting or tendency towards seeing people's value and seeing where they excel, seeing something that's uniquely, that they're uniquely good at. And I often see that better than they do. And when I see somebody who's got something that I think is kind of magical and they don't know it and they're not using it yeah. and they're depressed, yeah, I can't not do something yeah. about it. I, I just, yeah. I can't. I have this desire to like, but I see what you could be. You know, I'll tell you the first time I remember feeling that explicitly was 
when I played basketball, I always loved playing sports. Yeah. But I was never great at sports. Yeah. Like, I'm always the guy that's going to work his butt off, yeah. but I'm not the most naturally gifted. And I remember yeah. playing basketball. I was probably like 10 or whatever. And there was a couple kids on this team. They were just so naturally good. They could, they could hit shot. I mean, it just came naturally to them. And we were doing like wind sprints and all that kind of stuff. And I would always just go all out for all the kind of like drills and, and conditioning and sprints. And these guys would always just kind of like take it easy. And I remember that made me really mad. I was like, if I had the talent you had, like what? Don't you realize what you could do with that? Like something about it, not just not just out of jealousy, right? I'm sure there was some of that. Like, oh, I wish I was so naturally good. But there was something that watching someone not realize the gift that they've been given and that they can do something so much more and they're kind of just sitting there acting like, I don't know, yeah. I don't have anything. I don't know where that comes from. from yeah. Like, that's just How old me. were you? That's just me. I was probably about 10. No, about 10 oh, years 10. old. Yeah, yeah. I was young. It was it was like my early yeah. early basketball I, teams. Uh, I'm going to stay here for a second and okay. we'll move on because I, I want people to hear you dig on this. Okay. What does that, where does that come from? You're 10. Uh, I'll tell you what I heard. I heard these guys are better than me, but they're not working as hard as me. Yeah. That uh, was part 10, of yep. that's as pure as it gets. Yeah. I don't think it's a wrong response. Yeah, yeah. That's a 10-year-old. Yeah. There's no maturity there. Yeah. You're just going, hey, wait a second. These clowns are better than me, but I'm working harder than them. That bothers me. Mm. That's an interesting edge, but where do you, what do you think? Oh, I want to know from your environment growing up mm. and your experience growing up, to where you now have this unbelievable desire to turn people's lights on. Hmm. It's very similar to mine. As I was listening to you, I had the thought, uh, Isaac basically is a younger, taller, better looking version of me, <laughs> is what I'm hearing so far, the love of basketball. No, I'm serious, like having some fun with this, but yeah. it's like, yeah. where does that come from? I want you to tell me. What if from your environment or your experience yeah. ha makes you have a longing to help people? I, I can only speculate, because I, I don't Take honestly a shot know. At so. So I grew up uh, homeschooled. I'm the youngest of, of three siblings. And when I was three, my dad was in a car accident and he was in a coma for three months. They didn't think he would live. Mm. He did live. He came out of the coma, came home and lived with us uh, all growing up. But he has, um, he has a head injury. So he has no short-term memory. He can't walk. He needs constant care. Yeah. And so all growing up, but my mom continued to homeschool the three of us even yeah. after that. So growing up, you know, we had my dad that we kind of had to help take care of. And my mom, who was very social, taking care of my dad, very busy, talking on the phone with her friends, whatever, and homeschooling us. So by default, I had a very independent, uh, a lot of independence. So we had a lot of chores that had to be done. And then we had school that was supposed to be done. But a lot of times, you yeah, know, we were kind of running it ourselves. I mean, it was like almost unschooling, yeah, right. not, on, not intentionally. And I think through that process, like I just became very accustomed to a high degree of freedom and autonomy. Hey, as long as I got my chores done, I could kind of run my day how I wanted to from a pretty young age. And it was by necessity. And I think taking that, like the, the fulfillment that I got from being, feeling like I was the one in charge of my day and in charge of what I'm going to do, that like when I went out into the world and encountered people who didn't have that, who felt like they were not in the driver's seat of their own life. Like life was just happening to them. Well, I have to do this and I have to do this. That struck me as like very foreign and very strange. And yeah. like, why would, why? No, you, you don't have to do that. And I was always just like a happy, optimistic person too. Yeah. But seeing people like 
you know, my friends who went to public schools and had more of a traditional, you know, um, upbringing, I would just see there was like a deadness about yeah. the things that they did in their day because they didn't feel like they had choice. And that always there it is. bugged me. There it is. There it is. You teased it out. I know. I just kept digging. Here, you, you, no, here's what happened. The autonomy that was essentially forced on you. Yeah. You adjusted. You adapted to it. You began to love it. And also, all that autonomy, whether your mom intentionally did it or not, uh, you had to figure it out. You stayed. Watch this. He stayed as a wanderer. You, you weren't told. You just said it a second ago. All your other friends, you're like, oh, they, they had no choice. You were all about choices because that was the environment you grew up in. That's what I was digging for, mm. and that's beautiful. So here, here's the so here's how it all ties together. Okay. Okay? I mean, listen, I want the audience to learn with us. Yeah, absolutely. Here's where it ties together. Just like when we all get a new app that we really love, right, or a new product, right, or we see a new show. Like for me, it's Yellowstone. I'm telling everybody to listen. You uh, got to watch Yellowstone. I was I, telling Alex the other day, your life won't be complete until you watch Yellowstone. What's happening there? You know what's happening there? Whether it's an app, a food, a coffee, a clothing item, when it bless, when you, when it does something for you, yeah. you go, I got to tell everybody about it. Yeah. We, 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 it's who we are. Yes. And so the freedom piece, it, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Absolutely. And that's really interesting because now you're like, I want as many people as possible to be free to discover. And I mean, nothing, nothing fires me up like seeing somebody become just a little more alive. I know. Become just a little more free. You know what? And here's the deal. Here's the quest I'm on. All right. The quest I'm on is, is to stop people from wandering or to get them before they start wandering. Yeah. And, and I will tell you, this is very interesting. I'm going to throw this at you. You comment on it and then we're going to keep going. Okay. I think the Western education philosophy, okay, uh, was created on a world that doesn't exist anymore. And it was childcare. Yep. When moms and dads had to go to work in the 50s, when, yep. when life became more expensive and more stuff coming out of World War II. And then we were, we were doing, it was childcare, number one. And then number two, it was training people for jobs that they would keep for 30 years. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm 100% so with I think you. we're beating the curiosity out of kids. So they come oh, into absolutely. this world hardwired to wonder. Hundreds of questions a day as toddlers, not to bother us as yep. parents. They're just trying to get to the bottom of everything. Look, you have to, you have to, you have to go out of your way to make kids not like learning, to make kids not entrepreneurial, right? We, we tend to think like, oh, well, you have to force kids to do things that are good for them. Otherwise, they'll always... Humans are born relentlessly curious. Yeah. And they're innovative. I mean, you watch a, a toddler, they're trying to reach something on a shelf, and they, they look over at a toy chest. Now, they've never seen a toy chest used as a step stool before, but they get the idea. I'm going to use this in a different way, and I'm going to stand on it, and I'm going to mm-hmm. get them. Right? And they're experimenting constantly over and over. They're curious. They're asking questions. It it takes a deliberate effort to kind of to school that out of them, frankly. And, and that's what we have. And I don't think that's the, the intention, but no, that's the result of, of yeah. the, you know, the process of you're in, you're in this block for 50 minutes, no more, no less. Yeah. You're doing the same thing everybody else is doing, whether you're interested or not. You know, there's these questions that are acceptable. There's right answers for everything. Yeah. I mean, 
in business, in commerce, there's yeah. not a right answer. No. There's a whole bunch of answers that all have different results and you're constantly monitoring and testing. It's the know? nature of being an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. We are creating test takers, not pathfinders. Yeah. And you're in the pathfinding business. Yes. And I love what you do. So let's talk about your journey um, and how you got into these two businesses, you yeah. know, uh, and, and primarily, you know, we're, we're locking in here is I want people to understand the power of connecting with mm. human beings. I don't mean networking. I mean real connections. Uh, but I want to hear about your, your journey. How did you use connections? How, and I don't mean use as in we use people, but yep. how did you leverage them? How did you use connections to get where you are today? I, I love that you said not networking. When it, oh, I hate when, that. When word. I was early in my career, networking, anyone who used that phrase, uh, it always involved business cards. Oh, Nobody has disgusting. business cards anymore, but it was like, you know, you go print a stack of business cards and oh, then you yeah. go to a yeah. An event, oh, and you yeah. hand, you yeah. hand it feels like speed dating. <laughs> it's terrible on steroids. <laughs> so, look, I, I love that you're focused on connection because that is absolutely the core of, especially launching my first company, Praxis. You know, I, I it was ten years into my career before I launched it, so I didn't I didn't start off thinking like I'm an entrepreneur. What were I'm you go doing? Start a business right as you launched Praxis. I was what working for a nonprofit, doing sort of similar stuff. I was running programs that are like. Um, fellowships and, and uh, internships for mm -hmm. people who wanted to go into public policy. It was kind of related around the ideas of free markets and things like that, or uh -huh. people who wanted to go into academia. And then I was also doing, when I started doing fundraising for that nonprofit, that's where the pieces kind of clicked because I had been working with all these students trying to get their career started. And they're like, oh, I have all this debt and I have a degree and I can't, no one will hire me. Well, then I started doing fundraising and I'm going, traveling across the country, meeting with self-made millionaires, occasionally even billionaires and soliciting donations. And I would always ask them about their businesses. And, I, and they would always tell me, I'm always hiring. I just can't find good people. And so that's when it sort of clicked. Like you yeah. got all these companies that need talent. You got all these people with degrees that don't know what to do. Um, so, you know, that was the idea for Praxis. But I, I never would have been able to launch it. The, the 10 years in my career where I was really just pursuing things that were interesting to me, I was constantly doing what I call uh, investing in social capital. Just relentlessly. Yeah building social capital. Mm -hmm. So what that meant for me was a, a couple different things. One, anytime there's an opportunity to help somebody out, I would do it. And I wouldn't ask them, hey, can I help out? I'd say, hey, I made this for you. Hey, I did this thing for you. Mm. Hey, like whether it was at a job or not, right. just noticing those little things and being the person who We'll just take on any task we'll, we'll, to make your life easier, right? Making connections. If I know somebody is really passionate about, you know, whatever, uh, financial literacy. I say, hey, you should talk to this uh, this person that works over on the Ken Coleman show. Let me connect you. Right, trying to to be um, trying to invest in people, be helpful. Also, being curious about people who are senior to me. Yeah, asking them questions that are like pe young people don't realize how flattering it is for old people to be so asked for wisdom. This right, that's not a that's not a burden on them. No, they feel great about they themselves. They feel great. And haven't you also found that those people also kind of go, hey, come on in the pool. Absolutely. The water's really nice. They want you to come in there. And that's the most valuable connection you can make. Somebody who can drop knowledge and wisdom on you. Oh. And then you'd be surprised how often they open doors for you. Yeah, well, so I, I tried to just be relentlessly curious. Now, some of it's natural, but I cultivated, yeah. like, I want to be interested. So anytime I meet somebody who's doing something, I want to ask them, how did you end up here? Uh, what do you think about so it? What, what's the biggest constraint to what you're doing? Where yeah. are you trying to go? What keeps you from getting there? You know, what have you learned along the way? And I would, you know, if I could go to coffee with people or lunch, I would. But if it was just sitting around chatting. Mm -hmm. And so because of this, I kind of established a lot of goodwill. And, and something 
I will never forget. This is a phenomenal piece of advice for anybody out there. Um, something that I did all the time because I was, I think I was maybe 16 or 17 and I was running some like things at a church that I was a part of. And the pastor there, he, uh, one day I found a thank you note in like a little slot for like a program I was running in the church mailbox. And it was a thank you note to me. And I didn't even know that this was like the head pastor. I didn't even know that he knew I was running this little program for like, I don't remember what it was. College students were doing something. And it was like, thank you for what you're doing. And I went to him and I said, Hey, that was a really nice note. I didn't even know you knew this. And he said, Isaac, I'm going to give you a piece of advice that somebody once gave to me. He said, look for excuses to write thank you notes. Mm. And that stuck with me. I thought, oh, that's really interesting. I thought, I'm never going to lie. I'm never going to tell someone thanks when I'm not thankful, but look for excuses. And so I would practice this regularly. I would sit down and think, is there anybody that I've encountered this week that I'm just thankful for? And so it'd be like somebody I worked with. And sometimes it'd be like the person that's really hard to work with. But I think they are hard to work with and I don't even think they like me, but I'm really grateful that they do their job well. I'm going to write them a thank you note. And I would do this all the time. And like, I'm telling you, it's not, it's not like, oh good, now I wrote them a thank you note. Now they're going to do me favors. What it did to my own mindset, my ability to see the world totally changed. I started to see the world as full of more opportunity than ever because I'm like, what could I be thankful for, for this person or this person? Mm -hmm. And it's like, all of a sudden you start to see, yeah. oh my gosh, this person's creating value here and here and here. So you just nailed it. It, What that did is it put you in a place where you begin to see value. Yep. In places that you didn't see it before. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the power of focus. The brain takes pictures of what we're thinking about. It just does. We know this from neuroscience. Fascinating stuff. And I'll tell you something else that's really great. I hope I hope the young people listening to this um, and those of you that are mid-career and you feel like you've never had a whole lot of opportunity come your way. I mean, I wrote an entire book on this, that connections are the fuel. Yeah. It's what, it's what moves you down the line and yep. opportunities come to us when we least expect it. If yep. we are in this constant state of curiosity and I got to tell you something, it is curiosity. Really? That's the platform for connections. Yeah. Cause it's just attractive. It's genuine. Curiosity interest. is just attractive. Yes. You want, if people go, Ken, I, I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't know how to connect with people. Well, that's a bunch of garbage. I think introverts are better connectors than extroverts because extroverts. Okay. If we're not careful. <laughs> All that enthusiasm yep. and all that intent comes across as, what are you after? Man? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And you're not. Absolutely. But I, I've had people say that, but like, it took two or three times for me to realize you just weren't coming after something. Yeah. I was like, gee whiz, man. Yeah. You know, but the the in, the intent of the introvert is just, hey, I'm here. Yes. I'm not, I, I'm just going to stay, stay in my lane. And the curiosity though, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert is the key. Yeah. This connection yeah. just happens naturally. All right, I want to bookmark that to come to when we when we talk about crashing bit with the idea of using that on the job hunt specifically. So we'll definitely come, well, let's stay come right, to that. Let's do it. Okay, we'll do it now. So but yeah. So this is something it it blows me away how un, unnatural this is for most people. So most people in Crash, my current company, it's all about helping people um, on the job hunt to get jobs faster, better jobs, get them faster. People on the job hunt, they basically they go to a job board and they're like apply, 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 apply. And they send them all a resume. Yeah. Maybe a cover letter that says dear sir or madam. Now, I always tell people, look, if you were trying to, you know, you were uh, looking for somebody to date, you know, you're out there looking for a partner or whatever, would you go to like a bar, a club, a church, wherever it is you go and just start handing out one page flyers that are like 10 yeah. bullet points why I'm highly dateable? Yeah. Like nobody would, that'd be no. weird, right? They would think you were an axe murderer. Completely, completely. And, and, but that's how it comes across on the job hunt. Hey, I am this, 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 and this. Give me a paycheck, right? Instead, 
you show interest in them. If you want to go on a date with someone, walk up to them, hey, you're really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. You know, I find this really fascinating. I'd love to learn more about this, right? You show interest in them. It's not about you, it's about them. It's just the same with companies. If you want to work for somebody, if you send an email to the hiring manager that says, I heard you want a podcast. I love what you said about this. I'm so fascinated about your company that I made this little project for you. I would love to learn more about the role. Yes, love No that. one is going to not respond to that. No. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. Not if you send a thoughtful email and go, hey, have you guys thought about this, this, and this? And by the way, to that end, I think a good suggestion is great, but I also think there's crazy power in asking a couple questions. Oh, for sure. So instead, if you don't have a bright idea, yep. then why don't you just ask some insightful questions? Hey, I heard you on this podcast, so I went and bought your book. I love the way you do things. I checked out the company. I'm curious. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. A couple of thoughtful insights. Yes. They're going to go, who is this person? It's amazing. What's like, happening? Like I, I've had employees. It's, it's rare for employees. I've had employees where I'm always wondering, when are they going to ask about how the business mm-hmm. makes money or how much? And most don't. They just kind of stay in their lane. And, yeah. think, and I always tell people like, be curious. Like when you walk into a coffee shop, cultivate a process that says, okay, let me look around. How many employees I got working? I wonder if they're probably getting paid 10 bucks an hour. How many people are sitting in here? Coffee's, you know, four bucks a cup. And try to run through your head. Are they making money or not? Like that kind of curiosity, like just about the way the world works, about how, you know, what is the break even for this place? Are they yeah. losing money until the weekend? or what? Like thinking that way, whether it's a place you work or a place you want to work or just about the world around you, yeah. that's where the connections it's start absolutely to, to pop. true. Um, an aside, but but it might be fascinating. Have you ever seen the movie Crash? Yeah, a long time ago. When it for like back when it first yeah. came out. Yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. fantastic movie. Yeah, I re- I remember it being a very good movie, but I don't remember all the details. Yeah, well, I was just curious if it had any impact on the company name. It didn't. Um, the company name really was like it was just like a long process of of you know yeah. going through trying to think through. But I the the idea is sort of like crash the party. Yeah. Like crash through the gates. There's yeah. all these gatekeepers. And everybody's it. standing in line on the job. You know, yeah. is my name on the list? Do I have the right dress code? Like, no, sneak in the back door. Yeah. Don't do what everybody else is doing, waiting yeah. in line, waiting for permission. Yeah. Just crash the party and do yeah. it your own way. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating study um, <laughs> in just human interaction. And that's why I asked the question. But I, I love the spirit of what you're saying. It's like, look for opportunities. If you can't add value, uh, start to see value differently because when you ask questions like we were talking about when you make a person feel valuable yes you have now added value absolutely there, there, there's this myth that i've got to exchange something Mm-mm. well i got to say something smarter I, I how could i ever sit with i had a young guy call the show he goes ken what would i say to you if i sat with you i go you better ask some good questions <laughs> because because if i feel like you're hungry yes. and you value my opinion now i have felt valuable yeah and we got to remember that we got to remember the human to human interaction and we got to get over all of the what's the exchange yes yes yeah when i you know when i've put out job postings you know it's amazing you'll get hundreds of applicants and i'm like they're all telling me what they can do but i'm like but my company this is my baby this is my passion do you know what we're about do you care about our mission or will you just work anywhere that has a check like i want to see that genuine interest so so tie this back into how connections have been important to me. So after 10 years of sort of investing social capital and trying to deliberately do these things, the moment, as you mentioned, you can't control when these opportunities come. I had this like moment of like epiphany where it clicked. I just, I had, I literally was walking on the beach and the idea for Praxis, my first company, the apprenticeship came into my head. I was like, oh my gosh, 
I think this is going to work. I mean, it was just like this, mm-hmm. all these pieces came together. So I drove home, I wrote it all down and I was like, okay, I have to build this, but I don't know how to do almost any of the stuff involved. Like, I don't know how to build a website. I don't know how to put, you know, I got to build a curriculum. I got to do all these things. Your business. That's when I started cashing in some of that social yeah. capital. I started yeah. reaching out to all these people that I had helped this guy get a job or I had done this and this and Hey man, I need your help. I've got this vision. I really want to do this thing. Yep. And they were happy to oh, do of it course. because I was the guy that was you there for them. deposited. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And when you start your career, just asking everyone for favors, it's like going into debt. Oh. And, and we're here at, you know, Ramsey Solutions. That's, yeah. we, that's not what you want to do. You start your career being like, can you introduce me to this guy? Hi, we've never met. Can you give me an interview yeah. here? Can yeah. you, you know, look at my resume? Start making deposits, that's deposits, it. deposits, deposits. And then- when that big opportunity comes and yeah. you need to go make a withdrawal, yes. people will be happy. Yeah. And I'll tell you, um, I love telling stories from early on in my journey. I'm curious, do you have a story where you helped somebody and and then when you least expected it, it came <laughs> out of nowhere? Like you weren't even, you didn't go back. It's not like you just told where you went back to somebody and yep. said, hey, bro. I, I need to I need to withdraw. Do I ever man. tell me one Do of I those? Because those are my favorites. Putting out, planting those seeds. I, that's part of the magic of it too. It's by reciprocity the way. because you get to say, I don't know how this is going to come back. No, but it probably will somehow. And, and I, I just I may, need to do it. And I may never know it. So, um, okay. So I was running this program as I mentioned for um, you know young people, giving them uh, like putting them through these fellowships, these internships at policy organizations. And so there was like, like 80 kids that would go through this in the summer and I was the one running it. Well, one summer, you know, there's always like a clique of kids that are all like get, get along. And then there's always kind of the kids who are a little more quiet that stay on the, on the outskirts. And one of those, I mean, he wasn't like, like an outcast or anything like that, but he's just a quieter person. I had to deliberately choose to try to draw him in, talk a little bit more, whatever, because I just noticed he wasn't as outgoing and I am. And so I have to ch- deliberately be careful that I don't, you know, just exclude people. Um, and so I remember I was just kind to him. I talked to him. I took the time to help him out and, you know, emailed a few times at the end of the program. But I just remember that it was like a deliberate choice. I didn't do anything amazing. I just sort of made sure yeah. to choose that, okay, I got to make sure that I'm not only hanging out with the the click of the cool kids. I'm talking and bringing everybody in. Okay. So years go by. I launched Praxis. We're going through the first couple of years where it's, you know, it's really tough. We're kind of growing a little bit. All of a sudden, I get an email out of the blue from a producer at Fox News that says, hey, I want you to come on Tucker Carlson tonight and talk about Praxis. And I was like, okay. So, <laughs> no, you had to be a little bit more than okay. I, I mean, I didn't it's know. out of nowhere, yes? Totally out of nowhere. I didn't know this producer. Yeah. And, and I was like, You're like, right. is this a prank? It's like, okay, let's do yeah. it. And so I went to a, a studio near where I was living in Charleston. It's a weird experience because you're in this dark studio. It's a remote oh, studio. Yeah, it's the worst. And, and you're I staring at a camera. And there's a delay. Oh, and I yeah. can't see him. And I can, oh, it's you know. awful. But yeah. anyway, it's a really short segment. And I just like get a chance to talk about Praxis. And he like flipped out. He thought it was great. And he put the link up on the Fox News uh, Facebook page. Well, our website just exploded. I mean, it was a huge, huge, mm-hmm. huge win for us. This little bootstrapped company at the time. And I was like, how did that come about? Like, I couldn't figure out how they heard about me, whatever. And afterwards, like three or four days afterwards, I get an email from this kid that was in this program. He said, hey, Isaac, uh, I'm one of the producers on Tucker's show, and I've been following your blog for years. I hadn't talked to them in years. I didn't know that he still knew I existed. I've been following what you're doing with Praxis. Tucker was talking about college. I told him he should bring you on. And it was just like, bam, that's one of those moments. Like, you never know. 
You never know. Yeah. Like just a real small thing. I could have just been like, eh, he's a quiet kid. He's not fun. I'll hang That's with right. the, the loud, you That's know, right. rambunctious kids. And it's like, it's extraordinary. Who would have guessed? Because right? if you really look at it, okay, just on the surface, what you did seemed very minimal. What he did for you, Huge. tremendous response. Huge. And yet we know yep. that what you did for him in that moment, at that moment was a tuning fork probably in that young man's chest. Absolutely. That's phenomenal. I love that story. Uh, okay. I want to pivot because um, what you're doing, I, you're a guy who's really putting, um, you know, uh, foot to, to pavement here on apprenticeships. I think it is the missing piece in what I believe is a massive problem. I'm not going to go on a rant. The audience knows what I think about college education, the increasing costs and the decreasing relevance yeah. being this perfect storm. You know, I shared on the show yesterday, 50% of college grads in 2020, Isaac, took them six months to land a traditional job. Now, this is excluding kids that went right into entrepreneurship or yeah. something along those lines. Six months. Okay. Now, some of that's their fault. But we have a pattern here. Well, in, in it's 55 in 2019. Took six months. Something like 60%, if I remember, of those jobs are jobs they could have gotten before they went to college. Yeah, that's right. And the degree like, is actually irrelevant. Yeah, irrelevant. So that is our setup. <clears throat> I think apprenticeships, if we would dust them off. Yeah. And we and I understand it's not colonial America anymore where you lived above the silversmith's house. Yeah. Okay. But there's something to this. You really understand it. You're in even deeper than I am. I want you to talk about what apprenticeships look like today. Because yeah. I want people to know they exist or how can they even create them from a spirit of what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited that this is finally starting to the, the sort of stratified idea where you go over here and you learn in these cinder block buildings completely separate from the marketplace for 20 years. And then all of a sudden you go and join the marketplace and you work and those are totally separate. That's, that's so messed up. I I'm know. glad that that's fragmenting. Cause look, apprenticeship, you don't have to like it. That's how humans naturally learn mm -hmm. is by emulation, observation, experimentation. You, you can work with it or you can work against it. So allowing young people to, to get in and to be around all kinds of businesses, all kinds of opportunities, all kinds of different people doing different things and to, and to you know, sort of shadow to, to watch first when they're little and then to try to do it themselves. When you watch little kids when they're before they've gone to school, you know, what are they doing? They're, they're watching their mom do laundry or make the, and they're in there pretending to do it with their little toys, right? They're yeah. immediately taking on. That's like so inherent oh, to humans. That's why every little girl wants the, uh, the little play kitchen. Absolutely. The yeah. dishwasher, the sink, the pots and pans. Right. Then they get older and they don't want to do it at all. Well, oh, and, I stepped into it there. And, and there's a huge, <laughs> and there's a huge, I'm going to leave that one. No, it's just a joke. <laughs> I, I, it's a terrible thing to say for a guy who's been married 24 years. There's a huge, uh, congratulations. Thank you. There, there, there's a huge, you know, opportunity opens up um, for, for the things that you see as normal become possible, mm -hmm. right? So the children who grow up, uh, children of professional athletes, let's say, or entertainers, one of the reasons they're so likely to go in that business That's right. is because they've just seen that as within the realm That's of exactly possibility. exactly right. It's normal. They're yeah. around it. Yeah. And so the more things kids can be around and be exposed to early, and then as they get into where they're, they're getting ready to start their career, I mean, think about, would you rather hire somebody, uh, let's say, you know, uh, your marketing team, you want to get your content out mm. there wider. Someone who's like, hey, I have a BA in marketing from university, whatever, versus someone that's like, 
hey, I spent the last six months yeah. doing marketing yeah. with somebody, yeah. even if I was doing it for free. Right. Because I was there right. to learn. Yeah. That's relevant. Yeah. Or right? my uncle is a master tradesman and I spent six of my eight adolescent summers yes. working with him. Yep. I mean, I, I don't care if you've darkened the door of a college classroom. Yep. yep. So that that was the, I mean, that was the epiphany that came to me with Praxis. It was like, okay, what do people really need? All these students who have degrees and they can't get jobs, what do they need to be valuable to a company? I thought, well, none of the stuff they're learning in college for the vast majority of jobs yeah. is at all relevant. So they're always learning on the job. What if we could make on the job learning happen sooner? And what if we could make it lower cost to employees, employers, sorry. One of the reasons that employers, it's like, well, I could teach you on the job, but that's a huge burden for me because I got to run my business too. And I, I you know, I like, right. they, they always want the dream employee who comes in ready to go. And it's never really the case. But that's right. so, you know, I went to companies and I said, look, what if I took young people who have all the raw character qualities, they've got the work ethic, we're going to screen them for that. Because you can't, if somebody's lazy and they don't want it, there's nothing you can do with that, mm -hmm. right? And maybe in the future, they, it'll, it'll snap for them. But we'll screen them for that. We'll give them just some really basic training on like basic professionalism so that they're not bugging you with time-wasting questions. We'll show them how to use Google Calendar and email and all that kind of stuff so yeah. that they don't come in. It's completely. And then for six months, they'll work for you. And we'll be supporting them through that six months. So if they're having problems, we're going to have weekly sessions and coaching to help them. And, and you're going to, you'll pay them like intern level wages, but they'll be doing actual entry level work. And so we, employers were like, man, that sounds kind of cool. Okay, sure. So show me some people. So I started this thing and started getting people coming in and, um, you know, placing young people in these roles where it's understood by both parties. Hey, I'm here to learn, but this is a real job too. It's not like an internship where it's like, ah, just make coffee and stay in the corner and then you just mm -hmm. put it on your resume, right? Yep. It's like, there, there's an actual job that we need you to do mm -hmm. and you'll be fired if you don't do it. That's there's right. consequences. Right. But we understand that this is essentially a, a trial run and you're trying to work your way into. Right. Um, and I'm telling you, it's been phenomenal. Yeah. Employers love it. Just yeah. teaching them the basic business practices and then, yeah. then, then, the, then the company's going, all right, I don't mind teaching them the finer points. Absolutely. The things that are specific to their company, they'll learn yeah. on the job. But really what we're, what we're trying to equip them with is it's, it's almost all just mindset stuff. Yeah. So it's like step one, okay, we got to de-school your mind. Yeah. This, what I call the obedience entitlement mindset. Mm -hmm. I just obey whatever rules are put in, for me, in front of me and then I'm entitled to yeah. a job. Or yeah. an outcome. Right. It's like, that's not how the world works yeah. at yeah. all. It's yeah. a value creation mindset that's, that you need. And that's, and see, therein lies my frustration and why I've said we're creating test takers, not pathfinders. Yeah. So what happens is they enter into the workforce and they go, um, when is the quiz? <laughs> When's the test? Because I can memorize something right. and be a good student. That's the behavior stuff, the obedience, as opposed to going, no, no, um, this is what I need you to do. Yes. Now innovate. Yep. Right. Yep. Like, like go, 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 go solve problems. Yes. But they don't it. know how to solve problems. They know how to study. Yep. They know how to answer. Yep. And they really don't even know how to study. If I'm going to really go on a rant, what they know how to do is memorize. Right. Oh, they're great at memorizing. Or uh, read the proclivities of the teacher. Say, okay, I know this particular ah, teacher. Yeah. They really like long flowery sentences yes. and they love references to 18th yes. century literature. Oh. So I'll just throw some of that stuff in that's there. It. There's, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> well, that's it. You know, you nailed it. We've, they've learned how to adapt. Right. Right. Uh, but anyway, fa fantastic stuff. Um, 
All right, I'm going to give you the final word. Okay. People are listening to this. They're watching this, this conversation. And they're going, all right, I, 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 I get it. This makes a lot of sense. But I just feel like I don't know anybody. I don't mm. know enough people. This mm. is the number one question I get from people when I teach on connection and the mm. proximity principles. Like, well, can it totally make sense? But I just don't know many people. Mm. I just think that's the question I want you. Final word. I want you to just inc- like you're having lunch with these folks. What yeah. would you say to them? Man, you'd be amazed how easy these days it is to get some kind of connection with someone, even if they're a perfect stranger to you. So start with your interests. Mm-hmm. Follow your interests. The books you like reading, um, you know, go look. Go see if you can find uh, the author of a book or a podcast you like listening. See if you can find them on Twitter. Follow them. See what they're all about. Try sending them a message, asking them a question sometime. Or I'm, I'm going to give you something. This is like a little bit next level, but it's really not. It's really not that hard. If you can learn out loud about your own interests and not just keep it all inside, the credibility, the ability to open doors for connections with people skyrockets. So let's say you're really interested in, um, you know, something, I don't know, biology, and you're reading books and you're just a fun hobby, but no one in the world knows it because you don't ever share anything about it. Now, when you go to somebody and say, hey, I really am interested in your work, you know, will you talk with me? That's much harder versus, let's say, every time you read one of those books, you just post a little review to Amazon about mm-hmm. it. And then maybe you, you write some blog posts. Mm-hmm. Maybe you start a podcast. It's just you talking. You have nobody, nobody's really listening, That's right. but it's there. Now, when you go to that person, you say, hey, I'm really interested in your stuff. If they Google you, they see something, or you can use that as an entry point. I'm telling you. Yep. Uh, I think that's a, absolutely right. A podcast is a better networking tool than a, than a, than going to Harvard. Yeah. Because you can go to somebody and say, especially if it's like somebody in a field that's sort of niche, let's, let's just Yeah, they never the, get asked to no, be on a show. No, you go find a biologist and you're really interested in cryptozoology, whatever, something, yeah. it doesn't matter. Hey, I love what you're doing. Can I interview you on my podcast? Yeah, they're going to ask you twice if you're serious. Right. Because they don't get interviewed. And once you yeah, get, that, that's like an hour. I mean, that, true. if that's you good. call a stranger and say, will you give me an hour of your time? Yeah. They'll uh, be like, no, yeah, I'm too busy. It. Yeah, pound sand. Right. Yeah. Hey, I'm trying, even if it's a small podcast, I'm mm-hmm. trying to launch my podcast and I would mm-hmm. love to have you come on and talk about your story for it's an true. hour. It's absolutely true. You're going to get so many yeses, so many kind responses yep. and your network will explode. So that's one. Yeah, I would add one small thing to what you just said, because I think it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, I love what you said, learning out loud. I want to add one little extra thing to that. Yeah. I would also say in your community, whatever that is, mm. f- uh, family, friends, let's call it, uh, coworkers, acquaintances, be interested in them. They're going to be interested in you and learn out loud. Simply, yeah, I'm reading about uh, microbiology right now. Now, seven out of 10, eight out of 10 might go, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. But three out of 10, two out of 10 might go, really? You're not going to believe this. My uncle Frank is the chair of the microbiology department yes. down at, at state. That's something else that I, when you said learning out loud, I go, you also got to talk about it yes. to people. Yep. Don't let it be this little thing you're ashamed of that you no. do in the cave. You, you, you increase your luck surface area yeah. by, by showing your work. So I'll bring it home on this because I told you the story about how I got on Fox News. There's actually a second part to how that happened. So obviously I was I was investing social capital in this person, mm-hmm. but I was doing something else in the years that happened in between there. I was blogging every day. Yeah. My good friend TK Coleman gave me a daily blogging challenge. And as I started doing this, the themes around education and entrepreneurship, they kept coming out. Mm-hmm. And that led up to launching Praxis. And then I'm blogging for Praxis. 
that's how he knew that I was even a good person to talk to about this Mm -hmm. because that kid had been following my work because it was findable because I was sharing. I wasn't keeping it all in my head Mm -hmm. that I have all these opinions about higher education. I was sharing it. And so when he heard Tucker say, Oh, I'm frustrated about college. He thought, Isaac Morehouse. I know a guy. Right. Yeah. He had a reason to to like me because yeah. I had been you know invested in him, and I was public about what I'm all about. Oh gosh, I can't help myself. Alex, the producer, is going <laughs> to roll his eyes back there. But let me just tell you what I learned from that. It started with you being interested in a kid in the corner. You were interested in yeah. him. Yeah. As a result, he remained interested in you after you guys. Right. So he remains interested. He finds you. And because you were interesting, he stayed. You see what I'm saying? He yep. looked this up and you were just doing something. So yep. it's not like a super clean formula, but that's the that's the that's an unbelievable story. Yeah. Yeah. All from a human connection that had nothing to do with your dreams. Yep. Just that kid, I feel like that kid needs to be talked to. Yes. And I'm gonna notice him. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, folks, you know why we asked Isaac to be here. Uh, the the guy's the real deal. Uh, founder of Praxis, P-R-A-X-I-S. Uh, founder, CEO of Crash.co, C-O. Um, and this guy's doing really good stuff. And I, I hope we can collaborate. Love it. Um, I got a good megaphone and you, you're doing some good stuff. And so if you are uh, interested in what Isaac's doing, I, I fully endorse this dude. And uh, you need to go check him out. Really good stuff. Thanks for hanging out with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. 